speak, that's because her husband gave this cold to her. He also gave it to me in the office this week. So uh, my normal get up and go is just about gone at this point. I've preached, uh, preached and taught twice already this morning. So uh, you will bear with me, I pray, that um, I don't have my normal animated self with me. I can tell you that right now. My knees are starting to get a little wobbly. So uh, just got a cold. I'll be okay. But I'll drink in front of you. But it's water. So just okay. What I've decided to do as we do every year is to remind you about the local church. Now, I invite you to do one more thing. Take your bulletin, please, and look at the front cover. That is a prayer item, but that's also a focus item. You'll notice that what is on the screen behind me comes directly from your bulletin cover. Many years ago, myself and the elders of this church put this together. We said if we're going to exist, we need to know the purpose of our existence, why we exist. And this is what we came up with. Is it simplified? Is it oversimplified? That's, that's a possibility because there's a big Bible. It's got 66 books. There's a lot there. But the truth is, when I looked at everything that we should do, I believe these six items will help us, and that's all they do, help us, to focus and clarify why we exist and why we do what we do. And the first one by itself is simply an overall uh, mandate that is given to all Christians. We will talk about that one the most this morning. But we are here to worship God the Father. Uh, Will was referring to that a little bit earlier when the praise team was up here. We are here to share the gospel. That's not only local outreach, but that is outreach around the world, including things like the mission trip that is coming up here real soon. We are to fellowship in the Spirit. See, we're all different. We probably wouldn't have a lot to do with each other if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit who is working in our lives and bringing us together in spirit. We need to have that connection. We are to faithfully teach the Word of God. Without that, I'm packing up and going home. The moment that the the leaders of this church tell me I can't preach the Word of God, uh, you'll have a new pastor, and hopefully you'll be gone too. Because without the foundation of the Word of God, we have nothing to stand for. We have no mandate. In fact, even these mandates... These, these uh, <clears throat> purposes for the church would not exist. We'd be making them up as we go. That's called religion, by the way. We are to be praying together. If you think that with some leaders, and by the way, that was probably one-third of the leaders of Garden Chapel. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you think because we have leaders and we have some people who are working that we will accomplish God's will, you're sadly mistaken. Because it's only by depending on God that we actually accomplish anything in the lives of people and that affects this world. That's just the way it is. And then one last thing. Serving one another. Notice I didn't say going through motions because it ends in love. Because that means that the service that we do, no matter what it might be, is going to come from a motive that is pure. And one that keeps our focus right back where we started from, is that everything we do is to glorify God. Did you notice here 
there's absolutely nothing here about you. Hmm, that's pretty interesting. See, it's not about Pastor Paul or Pastor John or the elders or any of these other leaders or even you. It is about, and the focus goes, toward God and He alone. It tells us that we are to glorify Him. Now, I'd like you to turn your attention, please, if you would, to the first verse, uh, first passage that I ask you to turn to, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know what? Maybe I forgot to do that. Sorry about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 31 to 33. It's a familiar passage. It's a very general passage, but it really sinks deep. Simply says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many that they may be saved. Notice how this is set up. It says even the most mundane and normal everyday things of life are to be for God's glory. And you say, how in the world can I eat and drink to God's glory? I guarantee you you can. But it doesn't stop there. It says everything, every interaction, every situation, every event is to be used for God's glory. That leaves nothing out. If you want to live for the Lord and you want to have the correct purpose in your life, everything you do will be filtered. And you will answer the question, how does this glorify God? Now, you may not do that consciously for everything you do. You probably wouldn't accomplish anything if you did that because you'd always be in you know, that mode. But the truth is, your whole mindset your whole attitude needs to be that God will be glorified. You say, how do I glorify God? I'm glad you ask. Because glorifying has to do with to make shine, to be brilliant. It has to do with honor, and it ultimately has to do with a reputation. Here's how this works. If I glorify God, I make God look good. I shine God's Glory. You say, he's glorious. He's perfect. We sing hymns like, holy, 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 and we've sang that God is holy. So what does my glorifying God help him? How does that make him a better reputation? He's already perfect. So why, why should I glorify God? Why should I shine up his reputation? Why should I honor him? Here's what it goes like. You see, we know that. We know that God is holy. That will never change. The world does not. The only thing they know about God, in most cases, is what they see in you. And i got to tell you, Christians by and large, I hope it's not you, and I hope it's not Garden Chapel, but I'm going to tell you, we've already been here, and all of us have been here. We are seen by the world as hypocrites. We do one thing on a Sunday morning. Oh, man, it's fun, isn't it? I like when Will and Amy and Janae and all these get up here and we sing songs, whether they're hymns or whether they're new songs. It doesn't matter. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Don't you feel good? I'm glad you do. Okay? I, I hope you do. Then we go 
and the neighbor parks his car in our parking spot. Or the boss is a little miserable this morning. Or your spouse isn't kind of up to your standard today. Your kid's a little crabby. And all of a sudden, all that that you claimed before God on Sunday morning is gone on Monday morning. Oh, by the way, I also know that it happens on the way home from church before you even get the lunch. I know that's how it works. See, everything, eat, drink, or whatever you do, is for the glory of God. So it's not just a Sunday morning service. By the way, I hope we glorify God, and I hope you glorify God in this service. I hope that's true. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. But I believe it's as important, and this verse is very clear about that, it's as important to glorify God Monday morning as it is Sunday morning. That's important. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite, and the world has a gripe against us, and there's no doubt about that. But it goes on to say, don't give offense. When you're glorifying God, don't offend Jews, don't offend Greeks, and don't offend the church. Because why? Here's what it says. It says that just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, my own benefit, my own good, but for the profit of many. If I'm going to glorify God, there is going to be a side effect. And that side effect is always going to be that you will benefit, profit, and help other people. Don't try to separate them. And if you think that is out of of order, read the book of 1 John. We've been going through that in prayer meeting. You cannot claim one thing and do another thing and know that you're right with God. It just doesn't work that way. And this verse is very clear about that. So everything we do should give God a good reputation because the world, the God that the world sees is the God that you represent and the one you live before them. That's so important. So it's always all of us, it's toward God, and it's for the benefit of other people. But it doesn't stop there. Because it tells us that we are to gather together. In Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. But it has three things in that verse, that passage actually. It says that we are to stimulate. The word stimulate actually means to prod or to poke. You know, like they would an oxen with a, with a goad to poke them so they go. That's the word. Literally, it means to poke. It says, we are to poke one another to love and good deeds. When you leave here, you should have been challenged in one way or the other to go from this place and live a more holy, beneficial, profitable life in front, a holy before God and profitable and beneficial to those around you. Out of love and not only just love, but doing something about it. It's not just words, it's actually carrying it out. And then it says, but encouraging one another as you see the day draw near. The word encourage is two words put together. It means to call and it means to come aside. Here's what it means, is to come alongside of. You come in here on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever you come, Bible study, it doesn't matter, your small group, it doesn't matter what it is, youth group activity, I don't care what it is. You are there to be an encouragement. You know what that means? And some of you, this is tough. You need to get out of your box. 
They call it comfort zone these days. Get out of your box and go over and help somebody. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting off your pew, shaking somebody's hand, and from the heart, out of love, say, wow, it's great to meet you. Hey, what's your name? My name's this. And, and get to know them. If we did that, I'm going to guarantee you right now that there are a lot of people in this congregation right now that don't know each other. And you're not a first-time visitor. That's what I'm not talking about. The, obviously, that would be true. But you need to get out of your comfort zone. Because if you're going to be an encouragement, others need to know who you are. You cannot encourage somebody if you don't even know who they are. So I'm encouraging you to do those types of things. Because the church is in this together. We are to glorify God, give him a good reputation among the world, and to be a benefit to other people. But then it does talk about leadership. Now, in most cases, every time the word submit is used in the Bible, it's always in the middle tense in Greek. You don't need to know all this, but it simply means you basically voluntarily on your own submit. Not in Hebrews. It is completely different there because God knows that any group of people gathering together without leadership is chaos. You know what it's like. It's just mob rule. That is not how God has set up the church. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, It says this, and this just picks up from, uh, it's, it's chapter 13, verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. By the way, just to glorify God and to praise him and worship him can be a sacrifice. Because your mind and your emotions say, I don't want to do it. God says there could be a sacrifice just to praise him. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. All the other places, it's middle tense. Here it's imperative. All you need to know about that is this. It's command. God's, the church is God's church. He has given leaders. And I know the leaders come from among us, so they're flawed just like the rest of us. All of us fit the same. We all came from the same mold. We all were born sinners. We all struggle with the sin nature. Uh, But God has given us life in Jesus Christ. And sometimes, uh, well, we can be a real pain. I'm going to tell you that right now. But he says, I've given you people to be over you. And both obey and submit are imperatives, commands from God. He said, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why do you do that? So they can do their job with joy. See, if you can have lots of willing workers, but if there's no organization, you're not going to, it's going to be a lot of willing chaos. You can have leaders, but nobody follows. You've got good leadership, but no work getting done. God never designed the church that way. In fact, is no group in this world can operate without some organization, without some leadership, without workers. The two work together, and as I said before, glorifies God and helps other people. <clears throat> but God doesn't stop there because in Acts chapter 2, and I like you to turn there because that's an important passage Remember, the church had just started. In fact, as this passage picks up as the church starts. 
The day of Pentecost had come. Peter is preaching a message. In that message, he tells them to be saved from this perverse generation. And then it says, as many as received the word were baptized, and there were added unto them, uh, to their number, about 3,000 souls. Here's what happened. The Holy Spirit comes in a new way that he never had. God starts the church. Peter gets up and preaches. People accepted Christ. They said, yes, this is what we need. Christ is indeed our Messiah. They trust Christ. They received the word. They were baptized, that outward identification or testimony. And then it says they were added to the church. First church in all the world, mega church. 3,000 people, even today's definition, that's a mega church. We'll see they did a few other things. But from the very beginning, it was a number of people coming together. In this case, the apostles were those that were the leaders. That would change very shortly afterwards. But what did they do when they came together? What, was the, what were the marching orders for this new entity that God had just brought into existence? By the new birth, identified by baptism, and now added to the church in the membership. What were they doing? Well, it says in verse uh, 42, it says they were continually, de- to continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In their case, Peter was there. John was there. James was there. All the rest of them were there. And they were hearing directly from their mouth. Today, we have that even more sure. We have it written down. Because the New Testament is, by and large, the apostles' teaching. It's what the church is based upon. Now, we don't reject the Old Testament. It's as true as the New Testament. But the church specifically was, from the very beginning, dedicated to the apostles' teaching, teaching the truths of the Word of God. From the very beginning, that should never change. Without the teaching of the Word of God, as I've said before, we really have no basis for everything we do. But it didn't stop there. It says, and to fellowship. They were in this together. Uh, the old joke is fellowship is two fellows in a ship. That's not a biblical definition, but it does mean two people together or more than two people together. They are together. They're in this for the long run. Brothers and sisters linking arms to accomplish what God has called us to do. Glorifying God, worshiping Him, and benefiting, profiting those around us. Are you seeing a pattern here? That is what God wants us to do. But they were fellowshipping together because we need it. It gets pretty lonely out there. You know what I'm talking about. It's really, oh, isn't it great to be a Christian on Sunday morning? But boy, I'll tell you what, Monday morning, it's pretty difficult at times. Oh, and by Friday morning, you think, I can't make it. I've been there. It's, it's, it's miserable. But God says we need each other. Not just on Sunday morning, but we need each other. And then it says from the breaking of bread. That's communion. Celebrating the work that Christ has done for us. That's what communion is. We proclaim his death until he comes. We proclaim that Christ's body was given for us. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We proclaim it to the world and to each other that we're in this together. 
And then it says to prayer. Notice we didn't have to go too far to come up with our um, purpose for Garden Chapel. You can almost go to one passage and get that. To prayer. Again, not depending on ourselves. Oh, we'd be any other social organization that ever existed. Hey, we can, we can do some great things. By the way, without prayer, you can do a lot of things as a church. It just ultimately doesn't glorify God, and it falls flat eventually. It's just the way it is. But it doesn't stop there because they, it says that they were sharing. They looked out for each other. <clears throat> it's verse 45. And then when you get to verse 46, it says they were with one mind in the temple. <clears throat> they were not having their own agenda. Here's what I've seen in the church in my lifetime and especially in the last 23 years as I've been a pastor here. Things come and go. Fads come and go. I'm not even going into all of them because that's six or eight sermons themselves. But here's what happens is somebody says worship is the only thing that matters. Worshiping God is all that matters. And so a whole churches are based on they have a professional praise team and man, I'll tell you what, they do a good job. Don't take away from that. They do a good job. Other churches say it's evangelism. We don't care about worship. We need to evangelize. And so they evangelize. People get saved. Church gets full and then they all leave because nobody gets discipled. Oh, but then there's others. Oh, these, these, are, these, these got it together. We teach the Bible. And so our minds get full of all the facts of all the days, the, the plagues of revelation and everything else, and we do nothing and they're a plague to us because we don't care about people that are dying and we don't care about worship. You catch where I'm going with this? You can say, oh, Garden Chapel, man, we're, we're really good at missions. By the way, I think we do a really pretty good job. But I've got to tell you, if all we do is missions, we're going to lose our community. We're going to lose our children teaching them. We're not going to be praising God. See, they're all interrelated and all interconnected. That's the only way it can work. It's not one or the other. It's been popular. This is one of the things that has come through. It's been popular to say a church should specialize. I got to tell you, I've looked in the Bible and I haven't found specialty churches. That's like a specialty doctor, you know. Uh, that's okay. If I have uh, my throat's messed up, I'll go to an ear, nose, and throat guy. I think that's what you go to. But I'll go to him. Or if I break a bone, I'll go to somebody who specializes in bones. I got to tell you, that's not churches. Churches are to do all of these things. Now, we may do some better than others, don't get me wrong, because God has entrusted us with resources and people that make us better at some things. But we cannot neglect any of them and still be the church that God has designed and wants us to be. We need all of them. They all need to be put together in such a way that God is glorified and others are helped. And then it says they went from house to house. I already mentioned that the first church was a mega church. They didn't call them small groups back then, but the truth of the matter is, more than meeting in the temple grounds, and they did not meet in a building. The temple grounds is a courtyard where they met under Solomon's portico. So it was sort of semi-covered. But uh, <clears throat> they also met from house to house. They had what we would call a small group. They had both, mega church and small groups. Probably a lot of everything in between from what I know from the rest of the scripture. 
But here's what I like that happened as a result of that. It says in verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. So they were worshiping. There was no doubt as to what their focus was. And by the way, worship, as I'll get to in a moment, is me expressing my heart attitude to God. My heart attitude, my thoughts about God to him. They were doing that. They were praising God. And it says they had favor with all the people. You know what? There's a fancy term we have today. That's friendship evangelism. Their life and their ministry, their words, matched. And people said, wow, you see that guy over there? What he's got is what I want. Oh, yeah, and he works with me. And, yeah, what he tells me about his Savior is the same way he he acts on Monday morning. Whoa. That's pretty cool. It says, and they were having favor with the people. Gracious with the people. They were getting along with the people. Oh, they were separated all right. They, they knew who they were and they knew what they believed. But the people saw what they had and had a desire for it. And guess what the end result is? Evangelism. And people were continually added to the church. Why? Because their life and their message coincided with each other. They worked together. And the people saw them. They didn't have to make some program. Nothing wrong with programs. We have lots of them. But that was not the basis of it. That was just to help them do those kinds of things. That's what we need to do. Glorifying God with everything that we have. Now, this morning, one other thing. I, I read a book on vacation this summer. It was called Simple Church. I think it was oversimplified. And it said, get rid of everything in your church that doesn't promote your um, uh, agenda, your, your purpose, or your goals. I wasn't real thrilled about the book, but it did come up with this here. Here, <clears throat> Keep it simple. I agree with that. You got a simple pastor. Keep it simple. Keep it sharp. Don't get sidetracked and keep it real. The life and the words need to match. Walk the walk and talk the talk. I mean, yeah. If you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. That's what I'm trying to say. And that's what we need to do. It's got to be real. Not some fake Sunday morning kind of stuff. That's what we need to do. So let's look at the first one. That's just the big, I'll give you that next week. But each part of this has leaders. It has the congregation, has a target, has a central value. It has the resources we needed and an end result. And by the way, notice it says this pew's always been mine been my pew. Uh, there are people that's like, if church doesn't go my way, I don't get to sit in my pew. I don't get to do it my way. I'm going to pick my marbles up and go home. I got to tell you, I disagree with that. And that does not mean I agree with everything that happens at Garden Chapel because I'd be gone a long time ago. That's not it. It is that we are working together. And the first thing we are to do is to worship God, not only personally, but corporately. In John chapter 4, and I'd like you to turn there because this is the last passage we're going to turn to this morning. In John chapter 4, it says a lot of things. But it says that we are to worship God in a very particular way. In fact is, it says that we are to worship God the Father. Nothing wrong with worshiping Jesus and the Spirit. They are God also. But the focus of all worship is to be to God the Father. That is the biblical principle. And it says that the Father seeks to be His in worship, those who worship the Father 
in spirit and in truth. Now, if you look in your Bible, the word spirit is, has a small s. That is correct. It is not talking about the Holy Spirit. That would also be correct. But in this case, it's saying you need to worship in spirit. You see, if you came in here and you sang along with uh, Will and the praise team, you said, I worshiped. I don't know if you worshiped or not. You sang some songs, maybe, mouthed some words. Uh, when somebody was praying, you said, I was praying along. I was listening. I'm listening to the sermon. You know what? I don't know if you worshiped or not. But here's what I do know. That is from the bottom of your heart, with your spirit, what animates you? If you are singing those words to God and you really believe he's holy, ah, you're going the right direction. If you're listening to the sermon, you're saying, you know what? I need to really apply that to my life and I need to be obedient to that. Uh, you're getting in the right direction. If you were praying along when Will or John or somebody was praying this morning, you're going in the right direction. You see, all that we can do as leaders is aid and help you in worship. Worship comes from the bottom of your heart. No place else. It has to be from your spirit. It is nothing mechanical. It is nothing that is just simply emotional. There are whole systems of theology based on the emotionalism. That's not it. There are whole systems of theology based on its cold, dead orthodoxy and liturgy and things like that. That's not it either. We worship the Father in spirit. It has to come from who we are. But it's not just based on me because it's linked inseparably by an and, spirit and truth. God determines how we worship. God determines what is good and right and honorable to him. Not me. It doesn't matter uh, if I feel good when I worship or not. I'm going to tell you there have been times that I've worshipped and I didn't have any good feelings because I was, I was sacrifice of praising because it was hard. I'll tell you what, there have been times I've stood up here. I don't know if you can see it. I hope you don't because that's not the right purpose. But I've sat up here and my eyes are just running because we're singing a song. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're singing a song and it just grabs me. Okay? doesn't matter if it's a hymn, doesn't matter if it's a chorus, it doesn't matter. Grab me. There's nothing wrong with emotion. That's not the key issue. It's not how do I feel, it's what have I expressed to God. See, worship is always there. Worship is not about me. I remember some young guys that used to be up here, and I remember taking them aside one time and saying, guys, it's not about you. It's not about you. That kind of nonsense has split churches and individuals and friends. It's not your preferences. And there is not everything that's done in worship that just really warms your heart. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm pretty sure some of my sermons haven't warmed your heart a few times too. Okay? That's okay. But I hear no one thing. We don't have just one thing that helps you and aids you to worship. We do numerous things. I don't care if it's the announcements. If you hear the announcements, you ought to pray about those announcements. That's part of worship because that's what's happening in this local assembly. Now, if we're truly going to worship in spirit and truth, I believe, I'd like to, not believe, I'd like to just express three things that should happen in every worship service. If it's really going to be what I believe it should be. I got one. I've still got it. I'm just trying to talk and I can't drink and talk at the same time. First of all, I believe we ought to and need to exalt the Lord. That is the overriding issue. Jesus is the only one that was lifted up on a cross. This church has not been. 
This pastor has not been, nor any other speaker that's ever been here. Only Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross. He alone, the Trinity, along with him, are to be lifted up and exalted. That's it. Anytime, anyone, in any congregation, including this one and including me, if it is a focus on that person or what they are doing, we got a problem, folks. That's not worship. That is the exact opposite of worship because worship is always centered and focused on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Nothing else. And i got to tell you, there's a lot of that going around. It's real easy to do because we all have preferences. But he is the name above every name. Oh, yeah, I know people who are attached to these things, and I know people who are doing them. But that's not the focus. Second thing we need to do is <clears throat> to exhort the sheep. If we're going to truly worship in spirit, that's the first one, and truth, this is the second one, we need to teach people the truth. Because how do we know what a holy God is like and how to please him and how to express our attitude to him unless we know the truth? And so we have to have the truth on a regular basis. I've got to tell you, if anybody from this church, any of the elders come to me and say, okay, you can't preach what the Bible says anymore, um, you'll be looking for a new pastor, and I hope all the rest of you leave too. Okay? I don't want that to happen. But here's what the point is. The point is this. Without the basis of the Word of God, we have nothing to stand on nor to proclaim. It's said in a very interesting way in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says this, I am writing so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Ooh, I used to work construction. I know a little bit about that. You see, a support is a foundation. It's what provides stability. I know what the foundation under this church looks like. It's poured really good. Because you can build all a nice structure on it, but if the foundation crumbles, the whole thing crumbles. We need to have a firm foundation, and that is the Word of God. Nothing else can take that place. We need the support. Every church needs that. That's the Word of God. Without that, we don't have it. And then it says, uh, um, <clears throat> oh, I just lost the word. <clears throat> the pillar. Pillar is something you hold something up. I don't care what it's holding up. It could hold up a light. It could hold up a, a nice ornamental top. It can hold up a building. I don't know what it is. All I know is a pillar needs to be on a firm support or it's going to fall over, and the support itself holds it up so all can see. That's a good illustration of the church. Firm foundation, but it's not okay to stay there. Because if you have the firm foundation from the Word of God, then you need to make it known to other people. See, from the very beginning, it was a focus on God and what He says. But it's always for the benefit of everyone around us, including the people that are here. Support and pillar. Foundation, holding it up for everybody to see. That's what we need to do. And it doesn't matter if it's missions. It doesn't matter if it's the seed sowers. It, it really doesn't matter what the direction is. 
Because God is going to have you go in one direction. And one direction is not more important than the other. They're all equally important and gifted each of us and encourage each of us in different ways. Some of us are hands and feet. Some of us are mouthpieces. Some are hearts. Where God has given you resources, please use them. It's all for Him. If you come up front, you teach a Sunday school class, you do a youth group, a small group, and you get the focus on you, please stop. we'll, We'll be sad that we lost a leader. But please stop. Because that's not what God wants us to do. If you're no longer pointing people to Christ, to God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit... You're teaching a different message. You're, you've got a different goal for this church, a different goal for your life. But I pray that's not true. I pray that you will continually, even as parents, point your children to Christ. So why do we exist? We exist to worship God the Father. Now there are five more. We'll take those up in a future sermon. Let's all stand together as we close in a word of prayer. In fact, is Jason Jordan, would you, would you close in a word of prayer, please? <coughs>